But before we begin, let's, let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, when we pray, we always come to you in the name of Christ. Because it is only by virtue of what he has accomplished that we can come. It is because of him that we have been made acceptable in your sight, that you look upon us in the righteousness and the holiness of your Son. It is only because of him that our prayers are acceptable before you. In fact, they rise as a fragrant offering before you because they do come in the name of Christ. Everything we do is in Christ's name and for Christ's name. And this evening, again, Father, as we focus upon what it means to trust in Christ, we desire, too, that all glory and honor would go to Christ. So we pray that you would help us this evening, help us to pay attention to this important subject, and especially as we reflect upon your word and how it leads us, not only into truth, but into Christ, who is the truth, and the way and the life. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this evening, um, as has been our pattern, it, this is the, the culminating talk of what we've been doing today uh, with the adults. We started by talking about the will of the heart and uh, that this is the, where we make decisions, where we choose, and we talked about the twofold aspect of, of our will and how that's reflected even in our repentance as well, and that would be seen tonight as well as we talk about faith and specifically trust. Trust as an expression of, of the will of the heart and having its, these two sides to it. The reformers felt that this is the place where Rome got it wrong. And I'm simplifying a little bit, but not by much, to say that the Roman Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation was comfortable saying that faith was simply having knowledge. It was simply being aware of certain doctrines. And the reformers felt that this did not really go down deep enough to understand especially how the heart needs to be engaged. It's more than what you know. It's, it's really casting yourself upon Christ. And trust is, is that word that really captures it well, what they called fiducia. And in fact, some of them would say this is the crowning element of faith. We really don't have faith until we get to this particular point because faith is more than knowledge. It involves the will of the heart. This is that deeper sense of faith where a person is placing their confidence in another person. Warfield said it is the soul going out of itself towards its object. It's casting that confidence upon someone else. And as we saw this morning in our lessons, this trust is twofold. It reflects the twofold function of the heart's will or its volition. And so to reflect this, these two sides of the will, tonight we'll talk first about how trust is resting. That is the will of the heart that is yielding itself to God, and then trust is committing. And that is where the will of the heart is engaging itself, truly entrusting itself, throwing itself upon Christ. So first we need to talk about trust as resting. Now the older children, you have these, these puzzles with you, and uh, just so you understand there, that that puzzle is that there's words within that one word, and that word resting, believe it or not, has over 200 words in it. And I gave you the first example of string. And so hopefully that will help you to get the gist of this puzzle and stir you to other answers and make you sing and the answers will ring true and not sting. Okay, we'll stop right there. But anyway, if anybody's paying attention, you were rewarded. 
Now again, remember, the, the confession of faith is what gives us these words, that the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone. And that's what we're talking about this evening, this, this resting where the heart is submitting itself, it's yielding and surrendering to God. And what that means, of course, what it assumes is that we have to abandon ourself. It means you have to abandon that confidence that you, you have in yourself or that self-reliance that you're looking to Christ for this. John Murray put it this way, in faith we surrender our self-sufficiency and place our trust in Christ. John McLeod said it is giving up of oneself to Christ, yielding up one's whole life to him as Lord. And Herman Witsius put it this way, and I really love this. Listen to this. Trusting in Christ is our heart throwing itself into the arms of Jesus, renouncing its own will and yielding itself to his sovereign will to be carried wherever he pleases. That's, that's the way you should write theology. So in other words, you cannot place confidence in Christ until you renounce confidence in yourself, that you're acknowledging that you're no longer self-reliant, but now you're relying upon Christ. You're resting in him. And that's exactly the invitation of Christ, uh, that if you are exhausted, if you're heavy laden, he says in Matthew 11, I will give you rest. If you feel like the burden is, is too great for you, he says, my burden is light. And if life is too difficult, he says, I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will in me find rest for your souls. Now think of how wonderful that invitation sounds to somebody who thinks that the only way they can get into heaven is by working or by their good works. And you see, this is where the Christian religion is different from every other religion on the planet. Every other religion, you have to work your way up to heaven. You have to earn that right. You have to prove yourself to be worthy of heaven. But Christianity says you have the arrows going in the wrong direction. This is the religion where grace comes down to you, where God reaches down to you and saves you, that all you need to do is to place your trust in him. It's not your works, it's not your self-reliance, it's not your self-confidence, it's you finding your rest in him. And think upon this, of how exhausting it is for a person just to be razor sharp all the time, thinking upon saying the right things, doing exactly the, the right actions, that everything has to be absolutely perfect so I can be accepted in heaven by God. That is a terrible, terrible life. And that's what faith is. Faith is coming to the end of yourself and saying, I can do no more. There's a, a famous mountain climbing story of a mountain climber climbing the Eiger, the Eigerwand in Switzerland. His name was Tony Kurtz, and he fell. And he was struggling to, to climb back up his rope. He was dangling in the air. And he tried and tried, and he started some success, and then he fell again. And it got to the point where he is totally exhausted and somebody was nearby and heard him say the last words of his life. He said, ich kann nicht mehr. He says, I can do no more. And he died. And this is what a Christian does, is they truly finally die to themselves and saying, I can do no more. I can't do this. I need to look to Christ and find my rest in him. And that's what faith is. Trust is, uh, somebody has put it this way, trust is extrospective. Now, I don't know if that's even a real word, but we're going to use it this evening because it's the opposite of being introspective, 
right? And that's what other religions might encourage, introspection. I look within to see what I can find there that is good and, and worthy of God, but this is totally different. Being extrospective means I'm looking away from myself. And the reason I'm looking away from myself is because when I look within, I don't find what I need to find. When I look to my heart, what I'm shocked is by what I see and what I do not see. And so I go looking outside of myself. We talked about this the other night with the Sermon on the Mount. Those, those early Beatitudes, where blessed are those who um, are, are poor in spirit, and they shall receive heaven. Blessed are those who, who mourn. And what Christ is doing there at the very beginning of that sermon, he's saying, look within and tell me what you see. Does it make you happy or does it make you sad? Do you look within? Do you see riches of morality or do you see yourself being poor in spirit? And that's why eventually he moves to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because this is the person who looked within and they could not find what they need. And so they go looking outside themselves, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, which is not found within. It's found in Christ. And Augustine put it this way. He says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And that's why this word is so helpful. And others have said the same thing. Gerhardus Voss said, faith is the action of the soul by which it abandons its own doing and relies on the doing of Christ as presented as a local movement of the will into Christ. There is a relocation of the resting point of life. Warfield said the same. Faith is trust is going out of the heart from itself and is resting on God in confident trust for all good. So that's faith. Faith is, is moving outside of itself, which means the object is everything. It's all about the object of my faith. It's not about me. It's, it's about Christ because my trust is, is in someone else, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, which means my faith derives all of its value in that object of Christ. We're going to come back to that. But this resting is a helpful idea here. We think of the Old Testament, how uh, we have this, this language of taking refuge in something. And so you older children, you see there a picture of a mountain. And as we think of that, it's a strong piece of rock. And that's the sort of thing you think of when you hear passages of scripture like this from Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my, my stronghold. We think of Ruth, who was so kind to her mother-in-law, and uh, Boaz took, um, a, paid attention to this, and one time he, he was uh, encouraging her, and he said this to her, it's, it's a beautiful line, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to find refuge, that you have come to take refuge. Psalm 2 talks about uh, the Son of God. He says, kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And Derek Kidner, in his commentary in this psalm, he ends, he says, on that day, there will be no refuge from him, only in him. And that's the idea of finding refuge in God. This is the one in whom we're running to for, for safety and for security. This is one who can be trusted. And so we rest in him. We rest in Christ, 
no longer trying to prove ourselves or to think we can earn our salvation. It's not about good works. It's not about anything that we can merit. It's about resting in him, the only one who can save us. And so you see, this is so important to understand this aspect of faith, that it's a will resigning itself to this. But trust is also committing. And that's the second part this evening. Psalm 37.5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. And this shows that trust is ultimately about a commitment. And so you children on your handout, you have a picture there of a bridge going across an expanse. And it's wonderful to talk about that bridge and say, oh, it looks so strong. It looks like it's well constructed. But there comes a point where you have to put your foot on that bridge and walk across it. And if that bridge is strong and if it's secure, it doesn't matter how deep the gorge is underneath it. It doesn't matter how terrible the water is that's raging underneath it in that river. All that matters is that bridge is strong and you can trust that bridge. And that's what we're talking about here. That trust is a commitment to Christ, knowing that, that he is strong and secure. I can put all my confidence in him. And that's why faith is a willing confidence. It's confidence in Christ, knowing that I can entrust myself entirely to him. That I don't have to have confidence in myself or even in my faith. All my confidence is in him. And again, this is exactly the opposite of good works. Not having confidence in my good works to save me, but having confidence in Christ. And so it has to be not just a trust, but a willing trust that I'm committing myself without reserve. Warfield put it this way, it is more than intellectual belief, it is an entire self-commitment, a firm or hearty reliance, a movement of the whole inner man and the going out of the heart from itself and its resting on God in confident trust. And so that's why we have these hymns that say over and over again about our trust in, in him, this confidence that we have in Christ, a certain trust that we can have in him. Calvin thought this was so important. He said, faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's goodwill to us, which being founded in the free promise given in Jesus Christ is revealed to our minds and sealed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a movement here we could talk about, and some theologians talk about this, that as we think of the beginning of faith, as it were, where we began, and talking about knowledge, that that's about cognition. But that cognition needs to grow to conviction. And that conviction grows to confidence. And that's where we find ourselves now with trust. Cognition growing into conviction, growing into confidence. I think that's a helpful way to put it, even though it does put so much emphasis upon the mind and, and maybe not the other things of our heart, especially desires. But faith is this instrument by which we can cling to Christ. And so I think it's important this evening perhaps just to, for a few moments, look to Romans 3. I just want to say something here about why it's important to emphasize faith as, as the instrument, as this as trust. Romans 3. I'm going to read verses 21 through 26. And the reason we're going to this passage is that this passage was so important to the reformers. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Martin Luther said, this passage is the chief point and the very central place of this letter and of the whole Bible. Luther is saying if you could find one passage that we could go to in terms of what is the very heart of, of our faith, it's, it's right here in Romans 3, 21 through 26. Let me read it to you 
now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now you see what Paul is doing here. He's talking about the righteousness of God that is received by faith, that's received as, as a gift. But the emphasis here is upon faith. And there's two things here that I think are interesting and that we need to highlight. First, how faith here is exclusive. That God's righteousness can only be received one way, and it's, it's by faith. We say faith is the lone instrument of salvation. It's by faith alone, we say. Because our salvation is effected by the gospel alone, the gospel is effected by faith alone. All of this salvation described in this passage, this power of God, the righteousness of God, Paul says at the very beginning of this letter, is from faith to faith. That's to say, it's by faith from first to last. It's by faith from beginning to end. It's all about faith. And so he's emphasizing here the way in which we benefit from God's salvation. And again, to repeat myself, it's not earning this salvation. You can't work for it. You can't merit. This righteous can only be accepted, and it's accepted by faith. We could put it this way. Justification refers to what God does in power and what man receives in faith. Or we could put it this way. Because it is a matter of grace for God, it is a matter of faith for us. Paul says in Romans 4.16, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. So it's exclusive. It's only by faith that we can receive this righteousness, that we can receive this Savior. But this faith is also inclusive, that this righteousness comes to all who believe. Notice the emphasis here. This righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for, he says, all who believe in verse 22. It's not just only those, but it's all those who receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation who are saved. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. Verse 25, it's the propitiation of blood to be received by faith. Verse 26, he is the just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. It almost sounds like it's redundant, like he's repeating himself here, but in fact, what he's saying, it's, it's for all who believe. And the point he's making is that this is available to anybody who believes. It's the same as John 3.16. Whoever believes in him will not perish. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift. As Paul says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so you see, it's both these things simultaneously that it's only through faith that we can be saved. 
And yet this is for all who believe. It doesn't matter what race you are, what gender you are, what age you are, what social status you have. God has revealed this salvation that is without prejudice, without exception, without distinction. This forgiveness and this acceptance and this peace and this adoption and this love, all these things are ours by faith, only by faith. But they are given to everyone and to anyone who believes. And so that shows how important to understand how uh, this faith is this instrument of our justification. But last of all, we need to talk about how this trust is personal. We've been saying this all along, uh, that repentance is about um, sinning against a person, done by a person. Faith is, is about trusting in a person. We trust the people we know. We know they're not going to lie to us. We know we can depend upon them. And this is no different. That faith is trusting on a person. It's relying upon a person, namely Christ. That you're abandoning, again, that self-reliance and that self-confidence. You're, you're relying upon Christ. You know, Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 1. He wrote about how he suffered severe afflictions beyond our own strength. But he said this happened to us in order to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. To teach us again that all of our confidence needs to be placed upon him. We need to, to trust him, that we are weak, but he is strong, and his, his grace is sufficient for us as sinners. And if you think about it, that's, that's not just the goal of preaching. It's not just the goal of teaching. It's, it's the goal of discipling. It's the goal of being a good friend, that all these things that you and I do are meant to, to lead people to Christ and to a personal relationship with Christ himself. That we say these things, we preach these things, and teach these things so that people will consider Christ and flee to Christ and to know Christ, to love Christ, to trust in Christ, this person, and to see that Christ is our treasure, that he is our salvation, he is our life, and there is no other. There is no other. It makes me think of that episode in C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, where the lion, Aslan, as you know him, is speaking to Jill. And she's standing there by a stream, but she's scared of this lion. And the lion says this, if you are thirsty, you may drink. Are you thirsty? I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, asked Jill. I make no such promise said the lion. Well, I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other source of living water than Christ. There is no other bread of life than Christ. There is no other refuge there is no other mediator. There is no other name under heaven given to us by which we may be saved. It's as Christ said to Martha, there is only one thing necessary. And that's a good portion that Mary chose, and it will not be taken from her. And that's why we tell people it's only one thing. It just comes down to this one thing, and it's clinging to Christ, looking to Christ, resting in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. That's the only thing before you this evening. 
whether you're a Christian or not. There's many times as Christians we, we face terrible sickness or loneliness or failure or stress or heartache and failure and sin, and our faith is tested. But why does that happen? You see, God is using those things to send you back to Christ again. You lost sight of him, and you need to find refuge again in Christ and to remember again that it's only in Christ is your comfort and your peace and your strength. In those moments, what God is doing, he's shaking loose all those things that hinder your sight of Christ. And your faith is going to be weak sometimes. Often, in many ways, it's going to be assailed and weakened, as the confession says. But in the end... Our faith, if it's in Christ, that faith gets a victory. Why? Because it is in Christ. You see, it's not faith that saves. It's faith in Christ that saves. It's all about the object of our faith. We are more than conquerors, Paul says in Romans 8. How can he say that? He says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 John 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world? He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's the one who believes that Jesus is a son of God. It's all because of our faith that unites us to Christ, this risen Savior, this Lord of lords, this King of kings, who loved you unto death and loves you still, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we have been thinking this evening about our resting in Christ. But we look for the day when we will enter into our eternal rest, where there will be no more need to repent, no more need to trust because our faith will become sight. We will only need to worship you and to adore you, and to thank you, and to love you. For the great salvation that has been revealed in Jesus Christ, this amazing and precious gift that cannot be earned, but it can be received. Received by faith. And this evening again, Father, as we think of all these ways in which our heart is at work, the ways in which our hearts betray us many times, we are so glad that we can find refuge in Christ, the one who would never betray us. As we think of all of our failures, we look to him who is perfection in obedience. As we think of the many ways in which we backslide, we look to him, this one who intercedes for us at your right hand. In every conceivable way, as we look to this one who's revealed the way of salvation, this one who has opened up the way of salvation, and this one who guards us along the way of our salvation. We are so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ that in him is all that we need. And so again, this evening, we confess him as Savior and Lord. And we pray these things gladly in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.